them from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We're going to spend probably most of the program on the issue of immigration, not as you think, which is uh, just uh, playing the president's uh, event today, 45 minutes with the Democrats and praise him for his genius. No, we're not going to be doing that. We will play some of that. But this issue of immigration, it's now or never. A half a century of effectively open borders, chain migration, lottery migration, failure to enforce visas, 40 to 45 percent of the illegal immigrants have violated visas for which they should be deported if not prosecuted. The country is changing. And while the left tries to stick us in a box and tries to say that we are against people of color. I'm not even talking about the nation is changing uh, its complexion. That has nothing to do with it. What's happening is people are coming into this country from the third world in massive numbers. And when they get here, they're bringing their family members in. No nation state, no nation state can continue to go on forever. Certainly under these conditions. I don't give a damn what business wants. I don't give a damn what the unions want. I don't give a damn what the Democrats want. Honestly, I don't give a damn what the White House wants. This is about the nation. This is about 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now. I can remember back over 10 years ago. Over 10 years ago, when there were only actually a few of us behind our microphones who were fighting off George Bush and comprehensive immigration reform. We had an entire radio broadcast company that supported open borders. Now, of course, its hosts are out there banging the drums. Some of the, some of the big hosts in this country, and I'm not talking about my buddies, but some of the big hosts in this country, they were all for immigration reform. Then they reversed course. And you always know there's a trick out there when some host says, as I've said for years, well, play it. Prove it to us that you said it for years. Because that means they did not. I've written seven books. Four of them discuss this immigration issue. Actually, five of them, now that I think about it, including my first one, Men in Black. And I got to thinking, do you realize over the last half century, every significant change in immigration policy in the last half century has taken place without the support or affirmation of the American citizenry? That we've been deceived about this over and over and over again by Democrats and Republicans alike? The Democrats, I can understand, as a party, the Democrat Party as an institution, has as its purpose to turn this nation inside out and destroy it. And to recreate it like some kind of a socialist utopia. Got it. Wrote about that. It's called a meritopia. The Republicans, ladies and gentlemen, no excuse whatsoever. And I know people are thrilled with the president's political performance today. He's demonstrated that he's got the mental capacity to lead. No more talk about the 25th Amendment. Wait a minute. 
We needed this meeting today to tell us, why do we react to the left? Why do we react to the media and the Democrats and the ethnic front groups? What we need from the president, what we need from this administration, what we need from conservatives in Congress are articulate, coherent discussions and explanations with the American people before we lose this country. We know what the Democrats want. How long have we been saying it? They're importing Democrats. How long have I said if we were importing Republicans, they would never support this? Every significant change in immigration policy in the last half century, which has promoted open borders, has been done without the consent, the affirmation, or support of the American people, often under cover of darkness. And now we reach the point where we can't deport anybody. If you deport anybody other than outright criminals and you can't even deport them given sanctuary cities, then you must be a racist. The Democrats have boxed us in, but we don't have to be boxed in. It's nothing to do with race. We're not talking about black, white, red, brown, yellow, whatever. We're not talking about that. On the other hand, the importation of people, most of whom are poor, many of whom are illiterate in their own language, how in the hell do you have a civil society like this? We don't even have a firm, uh, uh, assimilation. Do I have a single assimilation program in this country? Quite the contrary. Our public schools are full of promoting balkanization and racism and race baiting. Our colleges and universities, the same thing. The Democrat Party, the same thing. The media, the same thing. How the hell do you keep a nation together under these circumstances? So this is bigger than the meeting that took place in the White House where the president is meeting with people who want to remove him from office. Who is it? Who are the real humanitarians? We are. We want people to know that in order to come here, they shouldn't try and sneak across the border where they might be killed or raped or something horrific may happen to them. We want them to know there's an orderly process. You follow the orderly process, you may or may not get in. You do not have a right to come to America. You do not have a right to be legalized in America. You do not have a right to be a citizen of America. You do not have a right to have welfare in America. It all began changing during the Great Society. Even Arthur Schlesinger Jr. wrote a book about it. A leftist, a professor, a historian from Harvard who advised Kennedy and the Kennedy family. Even Theodore White, another liberal who used to write books about the presidential elections, he warned it was one of the dumbest ideas. The 1965 Heller Act, Hart Seller Act, I should say. So we're going to spend some time today going through this. And what I regret is that neither the White House, nor the leadership in the Senate, nor the leadership in the House, all of which we control, Make the articulate, comprehensive case for Americanism, for republicanism, little r, for national sovereignty. This isn't an alt-right thing. This is an American thing. It's an American thing. It used to be understood. 
Now you can't deport people because it might be the father of a child, a mother of a child, a child of a mother. Who the hell knows? You can't deport anybody anymore. The laws are meaningless. We have cities and states in this country that are nullifying federal law. We've talked about this repeatedly. They're using essentially the same arguments as the Confederacy used about the right to nullify. It's incredible. October 2003. The most articulate three to four minutes an explanation by a liberal Democrat former governor, Dick Lamb, of Colorado. On why this matters. Not a single person at that meeting at the White House today, whether the president, whether members of the Senate, or members of the House, not a single person, not one, articulated what former Governor Lamb is about to articulate to you 15 years after he did it in the first instance. Cut 14, go. I would like to share with you my plan to destroy America. If you think, and some do, that America is too smug, too rich, too self-satisfied, not diverse enough, too white bread, I have this plan. Toynbee, you know, said that all great nations rise and they all fall. And he said, and the autopsy of history is all great nations commit suicide. So here's my plan, eight parts. Number one, I'd make it a bilingual, bicultural country. History shows us. But no bilingual, bicultural country lives at peace with itself. There's not one, I believe, that doesn't exist with an incredible amount of tension they, that, and, and conflict, if not civil war. My second part of my plan would be to invent something called multiculturalism. This would be two parts. Number one, I would say that all cultures are created equal. It would make no difference and make it impossible to talk about such things as culture. And the second one is that I would really try very hard to make people continue their cultural identity. I would replace the melting pot with the salad bowl. My third part of my plan would be to make the fastest growing demographic group in that country the least educated. I would add a second underclass to the first underclass, unassimilated, undereducated, antagonistic, and then I'd have 50% of them drop out of school, not graduate from high school. The fourth part of my plan would be to get the big foundations to fund, and big business, to fund these efforts with lots of money. I would invest in ethnic identity and uh, victimology. I would get them to think about their lack of success was only the fault of the majority. I would start a grievance industry. The fifth part of my plan is I would develop dual citizenship. I would promise people actually divided loyalties, allow them to allow both for, vote for both Vincente Fox and George Bush. The sixth part, and this is important, I would place all of these subjects off limits. I would make it taboo to talk about, actually, or criticize this whole thing. I would make it uh, come up with a word like heretic used to be 200 years ago. Let's say we call it racist, and I would try to accuse anybody of this that would object to my ideas. My seventh part then, I would make it impossible to enforce our immigration laws. I would develop a mantra, let's call it this, that uh, 
because immigration has been good in the past for America, it will continue to be uh, good in the future. My eighth and last part, and it's important, is I would censor this book. This man is dangerous. He's on to my plan. Don't read this book. Unbelievable, right? So right on. So completely right on. And yet here's Donald Trump today. Cut six, Mr. Producer. Go. Thank you, Lindsay. You know, um, it's very interesting because I do have people that are, let's just to use a very common term, very far right and very far left. Uh, they're very unhappy about what we're doing. But I really don't believe they have to be because I really think this sells itself. And, you know, when you talk about comprehensive immigration reform, which is where I would like to get to eventually, if we do the right bill here, we are not very far away. You know, we've done most of it. You want to know the truth, Dick, if we do this properly, DACA, you're not so far away from comprehensive immigration reform. And if you want to take it that further step, I'll take the heat. I don't care. This is incredible to me. This was his top issue, separating himself from almost every single Republican running against him in the Republican primaries. His spin doctors are all over the place saying, well, what he actually meant to say, and his surrogates and media on TV and radio are, are rewriting and restating what he said and so what You heard what he just said. Mark, the art of the deal. Ladies and gentlemen, enough of the bumper sticker stuff. The rubber is hitting the road. Right now. If you oppose where this country's headed, you need to speak out. It doesn't mean you're disloyal to the president. It means you're loyal to your principles. You need to speak out. I am very concerned about what I saw today. All the politics aside, I am very concerned. I saw two parties united against us. If we do get anything beneficial out of whatever this deal is going to be, it's going to be because starting today, you raise your voices. You voice your concerns. Not because you sit back and smile, oh, art of the deal. No! No! No. We're losing our country. Started in 1965, like I said, with the Heart Seller Act. I'm going to talk, walk us through this. 1982, we had a Supreme Court decision out of the blue that ordered that illegal alien children have a right to public school education. Where did that come from? Nowhere. And then one federal case after another, mainstreaming illegal immigrants, mainstreaming legal immigrants where states had not mainstreamed them, quote-unquote, before. We have now reached a point where we can't even discuss this issue, where when you talk about deporting people who have violated our law, you're called inhumane, xenophobic, lacking compassion, a racist. We can't even discuss it anymore. And the demographics are turning on us. Fifty years of this has worked. The progressives, once again, in another area of public life, have destroyed institutions. Because they want to change the country and elect more Democrats. Everybody's citing this Daily Caller piece, and they should. The Center for American Progress, a former Hillary Clinton hack, saying, hey, look, one of the reasons we need to keep doing this is for votes. 
You have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to have realized that's been going on for half a century. Why do you think red states are turning purple? Why do you think purple states are turning blue? This is a big reason for it. And it's intended. That's the purpose. That's what they want. And when you call them out, what are you, racist? Not a racist. I want people to come into this country legally regardless of their race. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Reagan's biggest mistake. Biggest mistake. It's time to speak out, folks. It's time to speak out. Here's President Trump at the White House today. Cut four. Go. There should be no reason for us not to get this done. And Chuck, I will say, when this group comes back, hopefully with an agreement, this group and others from the Senate, from the House, comes back with an agreement, I'm signing it. I mean, I will be signing it. I'm not going to say, oh, gee, I want this or I want that. I'll be signing it because I have a lot of confidence in the people in this room that you're going to come out with something really good. That's no art of the deal. That's complete surrender. Now, I suspect the president will realize that and try and walk some of that back, but that is very bad. And he did it in front of the media. He did it in front of the Democrats. The whole world heard it. Just give me something and I'll sign it. You kidding me? That's what he said. I didn't say it. That's what the president said. I'll be right back. Right versus left is... Right versus wrong. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. The third greatest president in American history, in my view, Ronald Reagan, behind Washington and Lincoln, cut a deal with the Democrats. They got their amnesty and they refused to build the wall. George Bush cut a deal with the Democrats. They actually voted specifically to build 700 miles of wall and fencing and and to fund it, they've built less than 40 miles. They violate their own laws. They spend on everything and anything. They waste enormous sums of money. But they will not secure the southern border. And the president says he'll sign anything they send to him. It's up to you and me to make sure that whatever they send to him is acceptable to our future. And if it is, you'll hear the same pom-pom boys and girls, the same rockets. I told you a year ago. I told you two years. I've always said the reverse course and circle back and jump to the front of the parade. I am somebody you can rely on who's going to stick to his positions. Not because they're hard. Not because they're right wing. To understand conservatism is to understand, you know, humanity. It has nothing to do with being hard or right-wing. They're based on experience. Nations collapse, and they typically fall from within. And it's the voices like yours and mine and a handful of others who speak out at times like this, who are typically overwhelmed, but are to be remembered, quite frankly. Now, let's begin. Let's get into this issue. The status argument for comprehensive immigration reform reduces to this. 
America is a nation of immigrants. The founding and settling of the nation came about because of immigrants who braved dangers to come to this country and risked everything to build the prosperity we enjoy today. Certainly this is true as far as it goes, as I explained in Liberty and Tyranny. Of course, to say this is a nation of immigrants is to say every nation is a nation of immigrants. Mexico, the source of most immigrants in the United States today, is a nation of Spanish and other immigrants. The implication is, however, that both legal and illegal immigration, no matter how extensive, is another moral imperative justifying the transformation of the civil society. This is not so. Once again, the Declaration of Independence provides guidance on this issue. It states, in part, that to secure these unalienable rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Have we consented to any of this? How can chain migration be something we consent to? We've never consented to that. A lottery? Most of us hadn't even heard about this until a few months ago. We consented to that? We consented to sanctuary cities? We consented to 40 or 45% of the illegals in this country violating their visa requirements and staying here? When did we consent to this? More to the declaration. It is the right of the people to alter or abolish the government and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Have the governed, the American citizens, consented to the current state of legal and illegal immigration in this nation? Do current immigration policies and enforcement practices affect the safety and happiness of the people? Yes. The status, whether they be Democrats or Republicans, they insist that in particular the 21st century immigrant in the United States is the spiritual heir of the immigrants who helped build the nation. His motives are as noble and his ambitions as honorable as those of the founders. And to deny him access to America's bounty and freedom displays an un-American meanness of character and is a renunciation of America's heritage. Even worse, the status portrays the immigrant as universally more virtuous than the citizen. He's said to aspire to and indeed achieve a higher position of worthiness than the citizen. For he's doing jobs Americans won't do, quote-unquote, is a person of faith, a strong family man, and so forth. And the citizen is said to owe his sustenance to the immigrant, who is said to build his home, maintain his property, harvest his food, raise his children, go to his wars, and so forth. Therefore, even the illegal immigrant deserves a privileged status in society, in the sense that his law-breaking is said to be a personal necessity and societal value. So he must be urged out of the shadows and into the light. He must be celebrated as a role model. And his virtuousness must be rewarded with citizenship. Now, for we conservatives, this is a truly odd formulation, since it demeans the citizen and his paramount role in American society. It is the community of citizens who consent to be governed, and for whom the government exists in the first place. The principal responsibility of the government is to the citizen. Otherwise, the government ceases to be legitimate. To say that the citizen, who is in fact primarily responsible for the nation's character and the culture to which the alien immigrates, is less valuable to American society than the immigrating alien, is nonsensical. No society can withstand the unconditional mass migration of aliens from every corner of the earth. 
the preservation of the nation's territorial sovereignty, the culture, language, mores, traditions, and customs that make possible a harmonious community of citizens dictate that citizenship be granted only by the consent of the governed, not by the unilateral actions or demands of the alien through chain migration and so forth, and then only to aliens uh, who will throw off their allegiance to their former nation and society and pledge their allegiance to America. Claremont Institute senior fellow and California State University professor at the time, Edward J. Earler, reflecting Aristotle's observation, wrote, a radical change in the character of the citizens would be tantamount to a regime change, just as surely as a revolution in its political principles. So, folks, the government, therefore, is not only justified but obligated to qualify immigration to those most likely to contribute to the well-being of the civil society and to create the conditions in which aliens of differing backgrounds can be absorbed into the American culture through assimilation. Now, history. In 1965, as part of the great society, when the Democrats controlled everything by supermajorities, the status did in fact lay the foundation for radically altering the character of American society and the relationship of the governed to their government. When he signed the Hart-Seller Act, President Lyndon Johnson said, this bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. It does not affect the lives of millions. It will not reshape the structure of our daily lives or really add importantly to either our wealth or our power. And during the debate... The debate over the bill on the floor of the Senate. Senator Ted Kennedy claimed, eh, first, anyway, first our cities will not be flooded with a million immigrants annually. Under the proposed bill, the present level of immigration remains substantially the same. Secondly, he said, the ethnic mix of the country will not be upset. Contrary to the charges in some quarters, the bill will not inundate America with immigrants from one country or area or the most populated and economically deprived nations of Africa and Asia. That's what he said. Johnson, Kennedy, and the other statists during the Great Society were obviously wrong. It's hard to believe they were not intentionally deceiving the public. In 1964, Republican vice presidential candidate Representative William Miller of New York well understood the overall increase in immigration that would result from the 1965 Act. He said, we estimate that if the president gets his way and the current immigration laws are repealed, the number of immigrants next year will increase threefold and in subsequent years will increase even more. The bill that was passed abolished the decades-old policy of national quotas, which was said to be discriminatory because it favored immigrants from Europe, usually Britain, Ireland, and Germany, over the third world. Thus, it increased immigration levels from each hemisphere, setting in motion a substantial increase in immigration from Latin America, Asia, and Africa to the detriment of previously favored aliens from Europe. The bill also introduced for the first time, I'm just giving you history, a system of chain migration. It comes from this law. As the Center for Immigration Studies notes, gave higher preference to the relatives of these new citizens and permanent resident aliens than to applicants with special job skills. So the historical basis for making immigration decisions was radically altered in 1965. 
The emphasis would no longer be on the preservation of American society and the consent of the governed. Now, aliens themselves would decide who comes to the United States through family reunification. With the elimination of national quotas and the imposition of chain migration, aliens immigrating to the United States were poor, less educated, and less skilled than those who had preceded them, a pattern that continues now to this day. Now, the late author Theodore White, who I mentioned earlier, who was no conservative, he wrote that the Immigration Act of 1965 changed all previous patterns, and in so doing, probably changed the future of America. He wrote it was noble, revolutionary, and probably the most thoughtless of the many acts of the great society. In the 1960s, Cesar Chavez, one of the founders of the United Farm Workers Union, the UFW, vehemently opposed illegal immigration, arguing it undermined his efforts to unionize farm workers and improve working conditions and wages for American citizen workers. The UFW even reported illegal immigrants to the Immigration and Nationalization Service at the time. In 1969, Chavez led a march accompanied by Ralph Abernathy, president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and former right-hand man to Martin Luther King Jr. and Senator Walter Mondale along the border with Mexico, protesting the farmers' use of illegal immigrants. Oh, time has changed. Most of the unions have changed course, and today they lobby to confer amnesty and ultimately citizenship on illegal aliens. These include the American Federation of Labor, Congress of Industrial Organizations, the AFL-CIO, American Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, Farm Labor Organizing Committee, Hotel Employees and Restaurant Employees International Union, Laborers International Union of North America, and on and on, and the United Farm Workers. Mr. Chavez must be turning in his grave. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, for the unions, this is new membership, New dues payers. For the Democrat Party, this is new Democrats, new voters. So the unions view the large influx of both legal and illegal aliens as a new source of political clout that favors their allies in the Democratic Party, potentially adds membership to their own dwindling numbers. They came to the same realization as historian Samuel LaBelle who noted that the voting-age children of the first Great Migration constituted the big city masses who furnished the votes which re-elected Franklin Roosevelt again and again, and in the process ended the traditional Republican majority in this country. And there can be no doubt, as a practical matter, that the status benefits for votes, promises, is an attractive, albeit destructive, enticement. I just told you, the Center for... Uh, for Progress, American Progress, that left this organization, the Daily Caller reported, their talking points are, look, we need this for votes. Despite President George W. Bush's and Senator John McCain's long record of advocacy for more legal immigration and amnesty for illegal aliens, it's not enough to compete with the status agenda. In 2004, 44% of Hispanics, for example, voted for Bush for president, 53% for John Kerry. In 2008, 31% of Hispanics voted for John McCain for president. 67% voted for Barack Obama. The status tolerates the illegal aliens' violations of working wage and environmental standards because the aliens' babies born in America are under the interpretation of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which I disagree with the interpretation. Still, they're treated as United States citizens. 
And under this 1965 Heart Seller Act I'm talking about, upon turning 21 years of age, the child could sponsor additional family members for citizenship. From the status perspective, the pool of future administrative state constituents and sympathetic voters is potentially bottomless. That's exactly what's going on here today. Exactly. I've got a lot more. I hope you'll stick with me. Because uh, what took place in the Oval Office today, to me, is enormously troubling. I know a lot of people are going to say, don't worry, Mark. We've got the art of the deal. He knows how to get him, and so forth and so on. Let me ask those of you who think that way this question. Is it not the job of the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate and the President of the United States to persuade the American people to our position? To saving this nation state? To saving Americanism and the American culture? Not based on race? Not this alt-right stuff? Just these are views and positions that history and ancient history demonstrates to be true. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I know I'm not the Henny Youngman of talk radio. I know I don't load up the show with guests and everything. But one thing you do, I hope, take away from the program is information. You can draw your own conclusions, but information... Whether you agree with me or not, you can check everything I'm saying. You can dismiss my rationales, my reasoning, my logic, if you wish. But they do exist. Did you know that in next hour, we're going to continue talking about this? This is our country, ladies and gentlemen. We, the American citizens, it's our country. It's not the property of temporary politicians in the House, in the Senate, or in the presidency. And they are not listening to us. And they're playing us election after election after election after election. Let me just ask this. During the Republican primaries when I said, no, the Mexican government is not building the wall. In fact, the battle Trump's going to have is with Schumer and the Democrats to get appropriations to build a wall. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Or to quote the backbenchers, as I said years ago, but the truth is that. And I took a lot of heat for this. Well, there's no more talk about Mexico doing anything. And now there's no talk of a wall stretching from sea to shining sea. Now, well, we got rivers and we have mountains. Well, we had rivers and mountains during the Republican primaries last time I checked. Obviously, you can't build a wall in a river. It's hard to build a wall in a mountain unless it's the Great Wall of China. Somehow they managed to do it. Did you know that our $20 trillion national debt is estimated to be $40 trillion in the next 12 years? A debt train this large can only be headed towards disaster. And as we print more and more dollars, we lose more and more buying power. Investors know that it's not what you have but what you keep. That's why they diversify their portfolios to help keep their buying power strong when the dollar gets weak. PM Capital understands wealth preservation. Helping you keep your buying power is their goal. Many investors are diversifying their portfolios like me. And IRAs right now with gold and silver. That works. Don't be caught on the tracks of the debt train disaster. Diversify today. Learn more by claiming your free PM Capital Investor Guide. And for a limited time, you'll receive $500 in free gold or silver 
on qualifying purchases. All you have to do is call. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword Mark Levin. That's pound 250, keyword Mark Levin. PM Capital Specialists are standing by. I know these guys. I know Scott Carter, who's one of the uh, primary people involved in this company. It is a great company, a great sponsor. Call pound 250 and say Mark Levin. Again, pound 250, say Mark Levin. All right. I've only just begun. I hope you'll still stick with us as we move into the second hour. This cannot all be done in one hour with hit and miss stuff. So we'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, ladies and gentlemen, at some point, a nation has to stop bad things from happening, or those bad things stop the nation from happening. We've reached a point in this country where illegality is praised, where illegality is said to be compassionate, where the refusal to enforce federal immigration laws is said to be compassionate, where states and cities, which would never be permitted to go off on their own when it comes to the Second Amendment and guns and so forth, to go off on their own when it comes to immigration and are praised for it and are defended by our courts. A combination of court decisions, bureaucratic decisions, and political decisions have brought us to this point. And it continues to happen. And now the radical nature of the politics that surrounds this is unbelievable. And the Republicans so thoroughly fear it that some of them have thrown in with it. I want you to listen to Lindsey Graham at the White House today. This is how Lindsey Graham sees this. It's not a serious debate. It's not a substantive debate. He's the victim. Lindsey Graham is a victim. Cut five. Go. To my Democratic friends, thanks for coming. The resist movement hates this guy. They don't want him to be successful at all. You turn on Fox News and I can hear the drumbeat coming. Let's slow right? down. Doesn't he appear on Fox News endlessly? But he can hear the drumbeat now coming from right wing. Go ahead. TV talk show hosts are going to be right wing radio and TV talk show hosts are going to beat the crap out of him. Go ahead. Because it's going to be amnesty all over again. I don't know if the Republican and Democratic Party can define love, but I think what we can do is do what the American people want us to do. 62% of the Trump voters support a pathway to citizenship for the Now, doctor. let's stop. Where's he getting that number from? Where's he getting that number from? It's a group called PPI. It is a left-wing group that put that number out. And they put a lot of other numbers, polls and survey numbers, that are all anti-conservative, anti-Trump, this, that, and the other, always backing the liberal agenda. So Lindsey Graham is now citing a left-wing organization for his number, and that number was spouted, that 60, 62% number, all throughout that room. 
because they want you to believe that you're way out of the majority here. You're not way out of any majority here. Go ahead. If you have strong borders, you have created a opportunity here, Mr. President, and you need to close the ah, deal. Ah, shut up. Let me tell you something. This opportunity, this secure the border discussion, this has been going on since I was in the Reagan administration. In the two Bush administrations. Now the Trump administration. Now Goober here is going to tell us what we need to do. Mr. Gang of Eight. Either enforce the law or you don't at some point. At some point you got to do something about it. Here's the president today in the room. He's To, to watch the superficial coverage on radio and TV about what a brilliant political stroke this is. Let me tell you something, folks. In 20 years, your kids aren't going to care about what took place in the Oval Office, about the brilliant political stroke or anything else. What your kids are going to have to deal with is the, the result of what takes place here. That's why it's very, very important for you to engage now. Not just go with the pom-poms, not just go with the rockets, but you need to engage now. Here's the president. Cut three, go. Can you tell us how many miles of wall you're contemplating, whether it's 17 million or that? Or yeah, uh, we're doing a study of that right now. But there are large areas where you don't need a wall because you have a mountain and you have a river. And you have a violent river and you don't need it. Stop. Stop. It says, it seems to me not much is actually changing in terms of your position, the reporter says. Go ahead. Stop! My positions are going to be with the people in the room and what they come up with? Do you believe that, Mr. Producer? My positions are going to be with the people in the room. I thought he was going to say with the people, but then he adds, in this room and what they come up with. Go ahead. I am very much reliant on the people in this room. I know most of the people on both sides. I have a lot of respect for the people on both sides. And my, what I approve is going to be very much reliant on what the people in this room come to me with. I have great confidence in the people. If they come to me with things that I'm not in love with, I'm going to do it because I respect them. Now. If I'm a propagandist, I tell you this is three levels of chess that none of us can follow because it's just absolutely incredible. But if I'm truthful with you, and you're truthful with me, and we're truthful with ourselves, this is a problem. And even though the president may start walking it back, trust me, when Chuck Schumer heard this, and Dick Durbin heard this stuff, and Dianne Feinstein heard it, and Jeff Flake heard it, and all the others, they now have said, we can send him a bill and he'll sign it. The way it should have worked is the president make the case to the American people, and he can do so with the great temperament that he showed in the meeting. He can do so any way he wishes. In a speech to the nation, using that conference, and tweets and so forth, 
make the case to the American people that at some point this has to stop. And the Democrats keep saying, yes, yeah, one more amnesty, one more amnesty, then we'll control the board. They don't even say that anymore. They say one more amnesty and no money for a wall. My concern is that we'll get some truncated wall with the usual sensors and, you know, and guys driving back and forth in Jeeps, which can't possibly cover all this terrain, and be told that this is good. Everyone in Washington will feel good. Both parties will feel good. The Rockettes and the pom-pom boys and girls will feel good. They'll pass it. Everyone will say we have a victory, and we won't. This is my concern. I've been pressing this case for years and years and years, and it's only getting worse and worse and worse and harder and harder to address. Now, you heard me commenting from liberty and tyranny. Now, here's plunder and deceit. When the issue of immigration is raised or debated, the one group rarely considered or consulted is the group most adversely affected by current immigration policies, the rising generation, that is young people. And so I say we need to examine this. Now, for more than two centuries, the United States has attracted immigrants from all over the world. America's civil society in which societal and cultural traditions and values have served as a beacon to humanity has historically inspired millions to come to America in search of a better life. In the 17th and 18th centuries, immigrants from Europe came to the United States seeking, among other things, religious freedom. In the 19th century, immigrants from countries such as Ireland, Italy, and Germany were mostly escaping famine and oppression. 20th century, America welcomed those fleeing communism and despotism. However... As the late Harvard professor, Dr. Samuel Huntington, explained in his book, Who Are We? The Challenges to America's National Identity. He wrote, America has been a nation of restricted and interrupted immigration as much as it's been a nation of immigration. It may surprise some to learn that in the past, each successive wave of immigration was followed by a period of time where the flow of aliens ebbed as more recent arrivals assimilated into the American way of life. That doesn't happen anymore. There is no respite for assimilation. For example, from 1901 through 19... Am I boring everybody, Mr. Producer? Maybe I am. Maybe maybe I am. Maybe i got to go back to Michael Wolf and the author. Or kick, a, uh, or kick, a, uh, or kick Bannon around. Maybe, maybe that will excite people. From 1901 through 1910, approximately 8.8 million people immigrated to the United States. The United States Census Bureau reports that between 1911 and 1920, there were 5.7 million immigrants. And between 1921 and 1930, there were a little over 4 million immigrants. The 1930s through the 1970s experienced periods of immigration followed by integration and assimilation. About 500,000 individuals immigrated into the United States between 1931 and 1940. That's it. Between 1941 and 50, a little over 1 million. That's it. Between 1951 and 1960, approximately 2.5 million came to America over those nine years. And between 1961 and 1970, there were some 3.3 million. But today, there's no period of assimilation between immigration flows. Rather, the flow of immigrants coming to America for more than 40 years has been unprecedented and uninterrupted, 
even with chain migration added on, and with no end in sight. In the last decade and a half alone, from 2000 through 2014, 14 million new permanent legal immigrants were admitted to the United States, in addition to the surge of millions of illegal immigrants. The Migration Policy Institute reports that 2013 estimates from the Census Bureau put the U.S. immigrant population at more than 41.3 million, or 13% of the total population of the United States. Between 2012 and 2013, the foreign-born population increased by about 523,000. Between one year to the next, by 1.3%. U.S. immigrants and their U.S.-born children now number approximately 80 million persons, or over one quarter of the overall American population. Dr. Huntington, who I described earlier, he said the massive influx of aliens has been rationalized in part by what European scholars have promoted and conceptualized as societal security. You see, it's an attempt to justify the deleterious effect unfettered, unassimilated immigration has on a society. It refers to the ability of a society to persist in its essential character under changing conditions and possible or actual threats. The unsustainability within acceptable conditions for evolution of traditional patterns of language, culture, association, and religious and national identity and customs. And Dr. Huntington wrote that it is concerned, it is concerned above all with identity, the ability of people to maintain their culture, institutions, and ways of life. But in the United States, he added, quote, America has been a nation of immigration and assimilation. And assimilation has meant Americanization. This is him. Now, however, immigrants are different. The institutions and processes related to assimilation are different. And most importantly, America is different. Assimilation of current immigrants is likely to be slower, less complete, and different from the assimilation of earlier immigrants. Assimilation no longer necessarily means Americanization. At this point there, assimilation might mean you know, entitlement state. Now, as I point out, if assimilation no longer means Americanization, then in what kind of society will younger people and future generations live? See, I write these books for a reason. I talk about them for a reason. I don't write books like Michael Wolff, you know, trying to make a quick buck. I write books that I hope will convey important information. Princeton University professor Dr. Douglas Macy points out that as a result of continuing high levels of immigration, quote, the character of ethnicity will be determined relatively more by immigrants and relatively less by later generations, shifting the balance of ethnic identity toward the language, culture, and ways of life in the sending society. So that is, folks, the cultures and societies from which these people are fleeing Stay with them. And the lack of assimilation means that we assimilate into those cultures and those societies. Therefore, immigration without assimilation and Americanization undercuts the civil society as ethnic, racial, and religious groups self-segregate. And you see it. Even the names of these groups. The problem is magnified further when a nation abandons its own culture 
to promote multiculturalism, dual citizenship, bilingualism, and so on, and institutes countless policies and laws, promoting and protecting the practices of balkanized groups and their infinite array of grievances. Open-ended immigration takes a considerable toll on the job prospects of younger and less skilled workers, as well as college-educated graduates. Typically, younger workers, those between the ages of 16 and 29, are competing with recent immigrants for similar jobs. Many younger people begin working as waiters, construction workers, or grocery store clerks. These are the types of jobs many illegal immigrants also seek. How can that be, you might ask? After all, the argument goes illegal immigrants do jobs Americans won't do. For example, the United States Chamber of Commerce advocates widespread amnesty to enable its members, mostly large corporations, to, quote, utilize immigrant labor when U.S. workers are said not to be available, unquote. National Restaurant Association, same thing. The Independent Institute, a libertarian group, says the same thing and so forth. So I looked at the federal statistics along with the uh, CIS. And using the federal government's own statistics, I will prove to you when we return after the break why these are all provable, unequivocal, flat-out lies. I'll be right back. Mark government's own statistics, 472 civilian occupations they looked at. Of those occupations, six are considered majority immigrant, legal and illegal. I've talked about this before, and it's important to underscore this. Those six occupations amount to about 1% of the total workforce, 1%. However, jobs that are stereotypically thought to comprise mainly immigrants actually comprise mainly American citizens. Maids and housekeepers are 51% American citizen. Taxi drivers are 58% citizen. Butchers are 63% citizen. Landscapers or ground workers are 64% citizen. Construction workers are 66% citizen. Porters, bellhops, and concierges are 72% citizen. And janitors are 73% citizen. 16.5 million citizens have jobs in 67 occupations composed of a significant percentage of immigrants, 25% or more. In other words, millions of Americans work in jobs that are incorrectly but widely considered immigrant type. The high immigrant occupations are mainly low-wage jobs requiring little formal occupation. Notably, citizens in high immigrant occupations have a much higher unemployment rate, and so forth and so on. So the logical conclusion is that although Americans hold more of the jobs and occupations that have a higher percentage of immigrants, untold numbers of Americans, particularly younger and less skilled, are having more difficulty finding jobs in those occupations as immigrants are filling a growing percentage of them. I'll be right back. The establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Breaking story. U.S. Wang North Korea strike. I don't know who leaked this to the media, 
because it's all over the place now, but they should track these people down and throw them in Guantanamo Bay and be very, very slow about bringing charges against them. This is pure treason. Absolute pure treason. I mean, I, with the, the people on the highest levels of government we have today in the bureaucracy and the media we have today, we could never, ever have won World War II. I'm convinced of it. The Germans would have known when D-Day was. The Japanese would have known all about our bomb technology. Because the media today are filled with pukes. I don't know how else to put it. They need to find out who leaked this and, uh, and take care of it. Here's something interesting. Studies show that security systems deter burglars, right? It's a fact. There's still a burglary every eight seconds in America. How? Well, think about it. Do burglars give up just because some houses have security systems? No, of course not. They find a house that isn't protected. That's why securing your home is really a necessity. So let me recommend this brilliant security system built by my buddies at Simply Safe. Simply Safe is ridiculously smart, and its sensors will protect every point of access to your home. Plus, if a burglar so much as tries to break in, an ear-shattering siren will let him know that the police are already on their way. And best of all, Simply Safe 24/7 monitoring, just $14.99 a month, and they'll never lock you into a long-term contract. With Simply Safe, you'll even get a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no reason not to try it today. Go with the only home security I trust, Simply Safe. Here's how you do it. Go to simplysafemark.com. That's simplysafemark.com. Simplysafemark.com. Boy, I'll tell you, I can't wait till this winter is gone. Pardon me. I've been hit with everything colds, flus, you name it. Shall we continue down the road to informing ourselves about what's at stake here? What do you want to talk about gibberish? I say we continue down the road. Now, we've talked about blue-collar workers, manual laborers. What about college graduates and the effect immigration has? Well, there's been many studies, but one in particular caught my attention by Hal Salzman, uh, Daniel Kuhn, and B. Lindsay Law from the Economic Policy Institute. They found that for every two students that the United States colleges graduates with STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics degrees, only one is hired into a STEM job. One out of two. Now, this report further states that, quote, of the computer science graduates not entering the information technology workforce, 32% say it's because IT jobs are unavailable. 53% say they found better job opportunities outside of IT occupations. The three scholars conclude this indicates, quote, that the supply of graduates in these STEM-related fields is substantially larger than the demand for them in, in industry. Indeed, while demanding that the federal government substantially increase the number of high-skilled and high-tech immigrants in the country, Hewlett-Packard, Cisco, American Express, Procter & Gamble, T-Mobile, and Microsoft slashed, at this point when I wrote the book, tens of thousands of employees. The Census Bureau reports that 74% of those who have a bachelor's degree in science, technology, engineering, and math, 
that is STEM, are not employed in STEM occupations. Think about that. And in the STEM-related industries, quote, wages have remained flat and are hovering around their late 1990s levels. That means the salaries of professionals in these fields have not increased in the last 16 years. While salaries have not increased, the flow of guest workers has increased over the past decade and continues to rise. The annual inflows of guest workers amount to one-third to one-half of the number of all new IT job holders. And these professors in their study, they concluded that immigration policies that facilitate large flows of guest workers with supply, you know, on their visas, will supply labor at wages that are too low to induce significant increases in supply from the domestic workforce. So immigration immigration policies designed to increase the number of high-tech workers ensure that wages are kept lower than they otherwise would be. Still support open borders? I could continue to read from this book. I'm not going to. It's plunder and deceit, an entire chapter on immigration. Let me ask you a question. Do you love your kids? Mark, what are you talking Just stay with me. Do you love your grandkids? How long have I talked about our dreamers? The dreamers of citizens who are legitimately citizens. People who are legitimately here in the United States legally. Our kids have dreams too. You won't hear Lindsey Graham talk about that. You will not hear Diane Feinstein talk about that. You won't hear, hear Dick Derman talk about that. What about our little dreamers? What about our children and grandchildren? It is an incredible thing. The Democrats, on the one hand, make it so costly to hire American citizens with Obamacare, with all these entitlement uh, costs, uh, with the massive minimum wage increases to $15, and on and on and on, making it so difficult to run a business, a small business in particular. And yet, they champion illegal immigration where people are paid under the table, are paid below the minimum wage that they create, below the minimum wage that they create. Because they want the voters. They want the fundamental transformation. They talk out of both sides of their mouths. That wasn't discussed at the White House today, was it? No, it wasn't. The Democrats know exactly what they're doing. They're doing it in education. They're doing it in health care. They're doing it to the military, to law enforcement, to our economy. And they're doing it on immigration. I'd say the Republicans are playing defense, but they're not even playing defense. They're capitulating. And the Daily Caller piece, which I'll return to now that we have really big context for it. When um, the Center for American Progress, a well-known left-wing operation, the Action Fund, circulated a memo yesterday calling illegal immigrants brought here at a young age so-called dreamers a critical component of the Democrat Party's future electoral success. The memo, co-authored by former Clinton Communications Director Jennifer Palmieri, was sent around to allies calling on Democrats to, quote, refuse to offer any votes for Republican spending bills that do not offer a fix for DREAMers and instead appropriate funds to deport them. Trump called on Congress to find a legislative fix for young immigrants. CAPS Actions Memo 
says protecting DACA is not only a moral imperative for Democrats, but also key to getting votes. Quote, the fight to protect DREAMers is not only a moral imperative, is also a critical component of the Democrat Party's future electoral success. And she's right, and they're right. They're right. She says if Democrats don't try to do everything in their power to defend DREAMers, that will jeopardize Democrats' electoral chances in 2018 and beyond. In short, the next few weeks will tell us a lot about the Democratic Party and its long-term electoral prospects. Its long-term electoral prospects are based on long-term open borders, the legalization of illegal citizens, taking legal aliens and newly legal aliens, turning them into citizens, turning them into Democrat voters. By doing what? By doing what they do for born American citizens, which is offering them more and more redistribution of wealth. This is the end of a free society. This is the end of a constitutional republic. I'm not trying to be provocative. It's true. It's true. Look at the balkanization that's taken place in this country. We have these phony left-wing reporters and intellectuals. Well, we're more balkanized than ever before. Exactly. That's what you've created. You've created it based on race, based on immigration, based on law and order, based on age, based on income. It is a constant state. A constant state of conflict. Constant. And they always went out. Always. It's absolutely appalling. Cut four, Mr. Producer, again from today's White House meeting. Go ahead, please. There should be no reason for us not to get this done. And, Chuck, I will say, when this group comes back, hopefully with an agreement, this group and others from the Senate, from the House, comes back with an agreement, I'm signing it. I mean, I will be signing it. I'm not going to say, oh, gee, I want this or I want that. I'll be signing it because I have a lot of confidence in the people in this room that you're going to come up with something really good. He has a lot of confidence with people in the room. Are you serious? Mark, you don't understand the play here. You just don't understand. This is way above your intellectual capacity. You just don't understand here. This is a counter to the book. It's a counter to the 25th Amendment issue, that the president is deranged, that he's not intelligent, that he can't speak properly, that he can't do this and can't do that. And so you see politically he's done this. And, of course, you see the president will never sign anything that goes against his campaign promises. Is that what he just said? I'm asking you, is that what he just said? Or do I have to project and say that's what he'll do? I can tell you this. I know this for certain. If you don't engage members of Congress now, if you don't say, Mr. President, uh, this ain't cutting it. And this is what they're going to do. And you'll get couple hundred miles of wall, paid for by you, the taxpayers, not by the Mexican government, of course. You'll be told we have the greatest fence of all fences, the greatest censors of all censors, the greatest this of all, greatest that. And you will not have what you were promised. Well, Mark, he can only do so much. I said that during the primaries, that these promises, how was he going to achieve them? 
But at a minimum, ladies and gentlemen, you get up for the fight. You get up for the fight. You make the case. A statesman makes the case to his fellow citizens. He tries to change the attitude of people. He makes the case to the American people that the compassionate thing to do, that the legal thing to do, that the moral thing to do, that the virtuous thing to do, that the prudential thing to do, is to protect our sovereignty. That's the key number one point. To take people who have violated their visas, most of which are not three-year-olds, most of which are not three-month-olds in the crib, most of which are adults, and you throw their asses out of the country. They have no right to be here and no expectation to be here. They are illegal in the truest sense of the term. People here, 200,000 people came here in 2001 because of an earthquake. They need to leave. There was never any promise and there was never any expectation of legalized status. You need to leave. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its members, if, if they are violating our immigration laws, they need to be prosecuted. The Attorney General of the United States, <clears throat> I've given him this advice on the air and I will continue to, needs to go into federal court in every one of these sanctuary cities with a writ of mandamus and seek to require local officials in those states to comply with federal law. And they can make all the arguments against nullification that was made against the Confederacy, bar slavery, of course, but still the legal and constitutional arguments. And if the Obama judges continue to uphold them, then take it to the Supreme Court. But fight! Fight. Make the case. And it would be particularly helpful if we could know exactly what the costs are to localities and states for illegal immigration and legal immigration. All we hear anymore is these people pay taxes. Great. Nobody asked them to in terms of the illegal aliens. That has nothing to do with it. If you're violating the law and you're paying taxes, you're still violating the law. You know, I make the analogy over and over and over again for all our backbencher friends out there. If you have parents who violate our tax laws, the Robert Mullers of the world and the IRS will throw the book at them. And they'll go to prison. Do we say in that case they shouldn't go to prison because their child will be without parents? Of course we don't. So why do we enforce our tax laws and not our immigration laws? And the Democrats constantly playing the equivalent of three-card Monty. Give us amnesty now, we'll figure it out in the future. Amnesty, decade after decade after decade after decade. Chain migration, built into that 1965 law I told you about. Endless, endless, endless immigration. We don't even know who the people are. Family members. You don't want to be opposed to families, do you? I'll be right back. Much in. You know, folks, it's important that we draw out the distinction on these issues. The left isn't going to be quiet. We shouldn't sit still and say, well, we trust that. No, you got to get involved. I have hope for the president on this, but I'm very, very concerned about it. Based on the, you know, people, 
CNN is congratulating the president uh, for what took place in the Oval Office. Let, let me remind you of something. you got to look at Nixon. He created OSHA. He created the EEOC. He did a whole bunch of stuff trying to buy peace with the left. They were out to uh, decapitate his presidency from day one, just as they're out to decapitate Trump's. So if he starts to lurch left, and I've just been praising him as the most conservative president since Reagan, if he starts to lurch left, on immigration and these massive spending bills, on infrastructure and so forth, but particularly on immigration, which was a cornerstone of his election. Uh, he will not buy peace with them. They will take the House. His base will be demoralized, and they will impeach him. I'm gravely concerned about this, as you know. As I said years ago. You know, I love my car, our 2010 Camaro. First year the Camaro came out again. But it's reached that age where things are starting to go wrong. So I don't worry about those problems anymore, though. Not since I got extended vehicle service protection from CarShield. You know, getting covered by CarShield is such a great idea. It's affordable protection that can save you thousands for repaired covered cost. A new fuel pump costs over $500. Replacing a water pump is over $1,000. And if you need repairs to a control arm or a torque converter... Stuff most of us never heard of until it breaks. Now we're talking thousands of dollars to fix. They even have plans that cover your car's computer, GPS, electronics, and more. You make the choice. CarShield's the ultimate in extended coverage, and they get your favorite mechanic or dealership paid directly. So they don't say, well, you pay, and then we'll reimburse you, and you're sitting around for three and a half weeks. Sign up today and get 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is in the shop. Save yourself from high repair bills. Get covered by car show like I did before something goes wrong with your car. Jay Benham, try. It's an 800 number, toll-free number, 800-CAR-6100. Make sure you mention code LEVIN, that's L-E-V-I-N, or visit carshield.com, that's carshield.com, and use code LEVIN, and you'll save 10%. That's carshield.com, code LEVIN, or 800-CAR-6100, mention code LEVIN, a deductible may apply. That's a wonderful, wonderful service. I hope you check it out. All right, folks, be tough, be courageous. I shall return. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hey, Mark Levin here. This is our three. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Look. Do not be fooled by the snake oil salesmen in media. Do not be fooled by the pom-pom boys and girls and the Rockettes who just want you to feel good, keep listening, jack their ratings up. I am telling you, we are in a fight now. And if the president moves off this and more toward our direction, it will be thanks to you. It will be thanks to this show. It will not be thanks to those who, who appease what took place in the Oval Office today, who actually find it genius or remarkable or unbelievable, like CNN does. And as I said right before the break, 
Richard Nixon decided that he would give the left what the left wanted. He would give the Democrats what the Democrats wanted. He would give the media what the de- media wanted. And they took everything he gave them, and they still wanted his head. And they got it. We're going to lose badly. We may lose badly anyway, but we are going to lose badly for certain. If the base of conservatives leaves the president. And I don't want the base to leave the president. I don't want him to be impeached by a Democrat House. I don't want them to go ahead with all their Looney Tunes crap. And so it seems to me, and I hope it does to most of you, our patriotic duty and our duty to our families and to the future of this country to object and to not be persuaded by Slick and clever talk about how we should celebrate what the president did today because of some jerk's book. We are in a battle now. We are in a battle now to persuade our president and the same loathsome members of Congress who have screwed us before on immigration to hold the line. Now, this isn't dump on Trump day. I'm not doing that, but I do want to go through other things he said, not me. And then we're going to go to the callers, and then we have a wonderful guest at the bottom of the hour. You remember this stuff about earmarks, where members of Congress would slip in all kinds of weird spending stuff and the, in order to, uh, to use your tax dollars to bring the bacon home for some ridiculous cause in their own community? Well, they eliminated that, and <clears throat> that was something that uh, many of you cheered. I want you to listen to the president today. Cut seven, go. You know, our system lends itself to not getting things done. And I I hear so much about earmarks, the old earmark system, how there was a great friendliness when you had earmarks. But, of course, they had other problems with earmarks. But maybe all of you should start thinking about going back to a form of earmarks. Because this system, (laughs) this system. Stop. You notice they're laughing? They're not laughing at him. They're laughing because they know what the public thinks of earmarks. The public is on to this. Go ahead. And I'm there with you because this system, this system really lends itself to not getting along. It's not the system that lends itself to not getting along. Mr. President, you're sitting in the Oval Office, and at least half the people you're sitting with are your enemies, not your adversaries, not your competitors. They seek to destroy you. They want to throw you in prison. They want to throw your kids in prison. They want to throw your grandkids in prison. They are your enemies. And I say this, again, not because I want to be provocative, because they revealed themselves. They reveal themselves every day. They reveal themselves with every media interview. And they speak through the media with their leaks as well. What do you think these investigations on Capitol Hill are all about? What do you think the special counsel is all about? They're out to destroy you. Go ahead. ...to hostility and anger, and they hate the Republicans, and they hate the Democrats. And, you know, in the old days of earmarks, you can say what you want about certain presidents and others, where they all talk about they went out to dinner at night, and they all got along, and they passed bills. That was an earmark system. And maybe we should think about it, and we have to put better controls, because it got a little bit out of hand. But So we have, we have analysts of this meeting, all over cable TV and all over radio, Telling us how magnificent this was. I, 
I can't even believe that kind of an argument. And he wasn't done. Cut eight, go. I think you should look at a form of earmarks. I see Lindsey nodding very happily. Yes. Because Lindsey Graham is right about twice a year. Otherwise, he's a goober. Go ahead. A lot of the pros are saying that if you want to get along and if you want to get this country really rolling again, you have to look at a different form because this is obviously out of control. The levels of hatred. I'm not talking about Trump. I'm talking you go back throughout the eight years of Obama and you go before that. The animosity and the hatred between Republicans and Democrats. I mean, I remember when I used to go out in Washington and I'd see Democrats having dinner with Republicans and they were best friends and everybody got along. You don't see that too much anymore. I hate all due respect. You really don't see that. When was the last time you took a Republican out there? What did you guys go out and have dinner tonight? Yeah. But you don't see it. So maybe, and very importantly, totally different from this meeting, because we're going to get DACA done. I hope we're going to get DACA done, and we're going to all try very hard. All right, that, that's, uh, I can barely take this. We're going to get DACA done. DACA is unconstitutional. We've had federal courts that have ruled as such. DACA is about to expire. The uh, uh, former president, Obama, this was one of his uh, fiats. Uh, we're going to get DACA done, DACA done, DACA done. Notice it doesn't say we're going to get the wall done, wall done, wall done. Just incredible to me. And now we're supposed to reinstate earmarks. Peter, Morristown, New Jersey, the great dub, uh, he dropped. Jeff, Sacramento, California, the great KSFO. Go. Go ahead, Jeff. Yes, sir. I was calling because I was from Sacramento, California, and I've been dealing with this firsthand. It's just out of control. Um, I went down to the Capitol this weekend for a reform just to discuss things about immigration and building a wall and sanctuary cities, and I was physically attacked and called a Nazi just for wanting to simply address issues that I think were commonly discussed, like you said, between parties in the past. And it's just become so divided. We don't, no one can get along and even have a discussion. And I just want to know what, what can we do for the future of this country? Now please stop asking me what we can do when I've said repeatedly what we can do. It's Article 5, Convention of States. I'm not a magician. I'm not God. I can't fix with a snap of my fingers in three clever sentences what's going on in Washington. Convention of States, Article 5. I've written an entire book about it. There's an entire organization involved in it. There's three million volunteers involved in it. If you're really, really serious about helping and you know you're not going to change California, then you get involved with the organization. You don't have to work California, but maybe you donate to it. Maybe you ask them how you can provide assistance in other states and so forth. That's what you do. Can I ask you another question, sir? Do you feel as if... California is a lost cause. I don't know. Do you? You live there. Well, I, I do live here, but I've also not experienced as much political stuff as you in the past. Well, and you're living it. Forget about politics. You're living it. You have the highest income tax rate in the nation, one of the highest property tax rates in the nation. You've got the one of the highest sales tax in the nation. You've got the most... A ubiquitous regulatory state among any state that I'm aware of. 
You've got um, a governor <clears throat> who is strongly encouraging more and more illegal aliens to come into into the state. You've got uh, sanctuary cities up and down the coast there. You've got an environmental movement completely out of control. You tell me, is California a law state? Well, and if like, you don't think it is, how do you get it back? I'm doing like you said. I'm trying to be politically active. I'm trying. Well, to how do how do you get it back though? Whether you're politically active or not. The, the Convention of States Article 5 <clears throat> is a nationwide effort where we still have enough red states, at least temporarily, to try and get us back to a form of constitutional republicanism. I think California's gone. I think California's gone. It doesn't mean you don't fight at the local levels. It doesn't mean you don't try and elect a state senator or a state representative. But I mean, as a, as a whole... Uh, do you think Ronald Reagan could get elected president, uh, governor of California today? Not a chance. Well, he won by two landslides. Right. So my, my point to you is if you can fight like hell for a congressional seat or a state senate seat or a local seat, then that's what you're going to have to do. But I'm not a Pollyanna. I call him as I see him. I really do. I, don't, I just don't view my job on radio as to be a self-promoter. And to uh, <clears throat> to throw lollipops at everybody. Well, I would love to say this though, while I have you on the phone, is you've been very informative, and I'm glad I stumbled across you on the radio about two years ago because I was feeling very alone. And ever since I've found you on the radio, Mark, you've made huge changes in my life, and just in terms of thought process, places to look for information. I look at you almost as a father figure. Wow. I don't have a father. I lost my father at a young age. And you're a great example of a man. And I do everything I can to make myself at least a small portion of the American you are and the Constitution. No, no, no. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. First of all, I'm going to send you a copy of, Liberty, uh, of the Liberty Amendments, which will give you a good feel for what I'm talking about. That's number one. Number two, you are a... Uh, well, you're a strong young man, and you understand where the state's going and where this country's going, and you're looking for ways to address it. And I hope you'll really embrace what I'm about to send you. And you feel free to call any time, okay, Jeff? Thank you, sir. I appreciate you, and Happy New Year. Thank you very All right, much. You too. God bless. Paul, Long Island, New York, the great WABC. Go. Well, you definitely got the pulse of the people tonight. I was blown away after what happened today with uh, President Trump. Why does the Republican Party continue to lead from behind, pan it to the left, and embrace the left's destructive policies when we're in control? And why would they embrace policies where the Democrats themselves are saying to each other, we're going to get more Democrat voters, even on a base political level, a surface political level? How do they defend this? I was, uh, I'm out of my mind all day today. I don't understand this. And I agree with you a thousand percent. There isn't some conspiracy theory behind this. It's, it's, it's very disturbing. Very worried about my kids. Very worried about the future of this country. And we very need to be. All right, brother. Thank you for your call. Steve Long Island, the great WABC, same neighborhood. Go ahead. Hi, Mark. Yeah. I'm going to give you Texas straight talk. You're going to do what? Texas straight talk. You're from Long Island. You have the accent. You don't have to give me Texas anything. Just speak. Anyway, I'm talking about legal aliens. Legal aliens are actually a wonderful resource for Long Island residents. 
Are you going to speak or what? Go ahead. It's a wonderful resource because like, our house is cleaned once a week by illegal aliens. All right, get out of here. This guy's a clown. Rick, Melbourne, Florida, the great WMMB. Go. Hey, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. Um, important topic as always. Um, but, you know, just to, I, I, too, could not believe what I was hearing from President Trump um, about fixing DACA. I mean, that that's kind of beyond me. We, we've already got laws that we're not following. Why do we think another law is really going to going to do anything? It's like fixing Obamacare. You know, it's the Republicans that are enshrining these huge uh, disasters. You know, we can talk about eliminating these regulations and doing all the which are very, very, very important. But when it comes to Obamacare, if it survives a Republican Congress and this Republican president, it's here to stay and far worse. If DACA, quote-unquote, survives this president and this Congress, and, and they even do worse, they enshrine it, it's going to be far worse. You can never get rid of these things. You can never get rid of them. We have a Republican House, Senate, President. They told us to give them all this power, and what are they doing? They're, they're not doing anything. And, and the point that I thought that you were making earlier I think is dead spot on. If, if we have, quote-unquote, immigration but no assimilation, we don't have immigration. We have an invasion. Mm-hmm. And it's happening over, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. But we are, we are getting, you know, if an enemy wanted to take us over, he would come into our geographic area, form beachheads or strongholds from which then he could launch. It's just happening. That's what's happening. It's just taking so long that we don't, uh, they don't seem to notice it. Mm-hmm. And so we are... We are not even assimilating the American children. When you listen to what some of them think that are coming out of the universities, mm-hmm. they're not talking like Americans. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're talking like socialists that don't understand America. And so I think, I think um, your point about the uh, Convention of States is spot on. If, if we do not act now, and reduce the power that the federal government has through the con- through the uh, constitutional process. It's just going to take us over, and we will be helpless. Mm-hmm. We have time still to act, but if we don't if we don't make a call, I I committed a few years ago that I was I was no longer going to expect other people to call my congressmen, my senators, etc. I was going to do it on every issue that was important to me. And if we can, we've got that opportunity. We need to take advantage of it, or we'll be explaining to our grandkids what it used to be like to live in America. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Well said. Well said. We'll be right back. Lovin'. on the Mark Levin app. Go! Mark, am I on? Yes, sir. All right, fantastic. Mark, uh, got a great show, and most of the time I agree with you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on this one. And it has to do with the president's pivot to the left, or, you know, moving, moving to left. Uh, so you, I, 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 don't, I think you disagree with that move by the president. Am I right? No, I think DACA amnesty is a great thing, particularly when you're running against it. And I think putting that on the table before you get a wall built is uh, 
is a great uh, strategy, don't you? Well, look, the fact of the matter is the home builders, the construction industry, and we've got infrastructure on the way, hopefully, uh, that ain't going to happen practically without some... You're pretty uh, liberal, aren't you? Actually, no, I'm, I'm quite conservative. But I know no, actually, you're not. You're supporting a trillion-dollar expense when we have $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities and $20 trillion in actual debt. You're ready to surrender amnesty on DACA. You're not, how are you conservative, sir? How am I conservative? Well, one is I absolutely support Israel and the decision of president. That, that has nothing to do with being conservative. Alan Dershowitz supports Israel. He's a liberal. Israel has nothing to do with it. I'm asking you, how are you a conservative, sir? You support profligate spending. You support amnesty. Government needs to stay out of heck out of my life. States no, it doesn't. More no, it doesn't. It doesn't stay out of your life. There's a lot of communities that are hit with illegal immigration, and it's a disaster for a lot of these communities. Sure, no. I call, you need I call to re- you need you need to I'll hold you over. You need to reacquaint yourself with principles. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back with a great congressman, Ron DeSantis, who just announced for governor of Florida, and he has my strong endorsement. We'll be right back. Then, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen, 2018 is here. It's time to look your best. That's right, look younger than you ever have in years. Guaranteed. It's easy with the brand new Genesol treatment for droopy eyelids. Mary from Fort Collins, Colorado. Here's what she wrote. I don't believe everything I hear, so I tried this eye lift on my right eye. The next day at work, everybody said my right eye looked better. I couldn't believe it. Yes, and all the saggy lines on your eyelids disappear. This breakthrough eyelid treatment is yours free with your order of Genesel for bags and puffiness. Plus, you'll also get Genesel immediate effects for 12-hour results. You go to Genesel.com, that's Genesel.com, or better yet, call their toll-free line, 800-SKIN-604. Even gets better. Order in the next 20 minutes to get two more classics. Esoteek RF Collagen Builder and Deep Firming Serum free. Now during Chamonix's amazing New Year's sale, you'll get the best-selling Laysen's Neck Treatment. Call now and upgrade to express shipping for free. That's six free gifts. You'll look beautifully. 800-SKIN-604. Harry, supplies are running out. That's 800-SKIN-604. 800-SKIN-604. Or go to Genesel.com. You know, there's really a handful of members of Congress who I have enormous respect for. And one of them certainly is Ron DeSantis, congressman from Florida. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Mark. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you. You've been working hard. I've been watching over the last few years. Um, uh, I've been watching some of your local press where they're saying, Wow, he's on Fox News all the time, and we don't know if this kind of conservatism will work in Florida and so forth and so on. You're running for governor of Florida, is that correct? That's right. And you have my whole full support, correct? Yeah, and I appreciate that very much, Mark. So you'll get a few ads against you. But that said, um, why, why is it, Ron DeSantis, that supporting liberty, supporting the state of Florida and having the people of Florida make decisions about Florida as much as possible, supporting a strong military Supporting securing the border so we're protected as a nation state. Supporting the military and local cops. 
Why is that considered right wing? Well, look, Mark, you got to understand. I mean, I'm coming into this. We have a lot of momentum. I'm somebody that's walked the walk, not only in serving in the Congress, but serving in the military in places like Iraq and in Guantanamo Bay. Um, and I'm somebody who has a good story in terms of working hard uh, and putting myself through school and getting in a position where I could make the most of my own life. And so when they see a candidate coming that's a threat, um, people try to just throw uh, stones at you. So, so I'm totally fine to run um, on these key principles. And the good thing about Florida is our governor, who is term limited, Rick Scott, he's done a, a really good job in laying a foundation uh, for a strong economy. I mean, they've created like 1.4 million jobs in Florida since he uh, took office seven years ago. And so we have a foundation we can build upon. One of those jobs I want to see in Florida is you, Mark. I want that underground bunker uh, relocated <laughs> to Florida at some point. Um, well, I have a part-time one there, as you well know. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. So we'd love to have you. So there's a lot that you can do. Um, and the good thing about a governor uh, opportunity is you can set an agenda you focus on the four or five things that really matter to you. You make the case, um, and then you, you go and, and, and work with the legislature to do it. In the Congress, I'm very active. I mean, we're doing a lot legislatively. We do a lot, as you know, and have been supportive of what we do in terms of foreign policy, um, very active on these investigations. But you're one of 435. I mean, you don't set the agenda. You try to shape the agenda in whatever way you can. Um, as governor, it's different. You're appointing the justices to the state Supreme Court. Uh, you're the one driving the, the legislation and, and putting stuff before the, the legislature. So I think I'm in a really good position to have a really strong agenda. I think you are, too, and I think it's consistent with what you've done in Congress. You have fought uh, for federalism, and you, and you believe where the states have the ability to operate, they should operate. Where the federal government's supposed to operate, it should operate, but it ought to be very cautious about, you know, muscling out the private sector. And when you're governor, you're going to be fighting for the same things. That is <clears throat> the right of Florida to make decisions about Florida. Am I not right? Yeah, without question. And uh, we're in a situation where we have an inflection point on the state Supreme Court. We've had a very activist court for a long time. Uh, because of the age limits of the justices, three of those liberal justices are going to have to retire at the end of this governor's term. And so the new governor can come in and actually have three replacements who are constitutionalists and who understand the job of the court is not to uh, interpret or, or rewrite the law and constitution. It's to apply the laws written, apply the constitution mm -hmm. as written. You're exercising judgment. You're not exercising legislative will. That really allows the people of Florida to be able to govern themselves because this court has struck down a lot of very significant reforms over the years regarding school choice. They've struck down things involving litigation reform, which is really needed in Florida. So you can restore the same type of constitutional government on the state level that I think President Trump is trying to do with the excellent nominations that he's put forward for both the Supreme Court and the federal circuit courts. Mm -hmm. And... Um your greatest successes in the House of Representatives, what would you consider them to be? I mean, you were a mighty force behind pushing for the, the federal government, for the administration, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I sat there in the audience as you conducted a hearing on this, which was an absolutely brilliant hearing. Yeah, and well, what we had done, we had laid the foundation when the president came into office 
I organized a letter with over 100 members of Congress saying, Mr. President, you promised this. Let's do it. And then I took a, I led a delegation in last March to Israel. We actually looked in Jerusalem at all the sites where the U.S. had an interest in so that we, could, we basically showed, hey, this can be done pretty quickly. And now we'll eventually build a nice big embassy, but you can do it. Did a big press conference, got, got great press. And then obviously he didn't make the decision at that point. But then coming into this next inflection point, we wanted to make sure that that was on the front burner. And I give President Trump a lot of credit. A lot of his advisors were telling him, don't do it, don't do it. Um, our goal was to say, just to remind him that this is an issue that people cared about. So you know, I was really fortunate to play the leading role in the Congress on that. And I think the president's speech uh, doing it was phenomenal. Now on the back end, we're making sure that the State Department isn't dragging their feet because some people say, oh, well, maybe in like six or seven years they'll have the – no, no, no. You're going to get at least a temporary place done very soon. And so I'm working with the ambassador there, David Friedman, uh, to make sure that's a reality. You know, there's always pressure on no-income tax states, and there's only a handful of you left, and Florida's one of them, to create an income tax. And there's always this pressure in Florida, particularly from the left. I take it you're committed to no state income tax. There will be a state income tax over my dead body. No way. We cannot do that. That would totally tank our economy. But I will tell you, Mark, if you look at the Democrats who are running, they are promising a lot of new spending. We have to balance the budget in Florida. Um, I think the logical result of some of the programs that they want to do uh, will be a state income tax. And so that's where the liberal Democrats are moving towards. And I think that would forfeit so much of Florida's competitive advantage. I mean, just with this latest tax bill, uh, you're going to see a lot of capital start to move into Florida. I mean, if you're going to start a financial services company, why would you do it in Greenwich, Connecticut, or Westchester County, New York? You do it in West Palm Beach. Or Virginia, for that matter, where I'm stuck. And I'm <laughs> telling you now, in a year or two, I'm heading down there. Good, good. Well, we, we, will, we will love that. Maybe we'll do a little ribbon cutting outside the <laughs> underground bunker. No, it's the underground bunker. We don't do ribbon cutting. Uh, but anyway, so... I want to ask you a question, though. It is hard to run a statewide campaign in a state that is as populous as your state. So I assume you need support. So if my conservative Levinites in the audience want to provide you with support so you can fight, you know, in the Republican primary and get the nomination, where do they go? They go to rondesantis.com. rondesantis.com. We'd love to have your support. And you're right, Mark. It is, it's tough. It's big. It's expensive. Uh, the flip side of that, though, is that there's a lot of great po folks in the grassroots in Florida and throughout the country uh, who really care about this. I mean, I think Florida's future is important for the folks who are there, for a lot of the people who may move here. Uh, but it's also important nationally because we want to have big states that can actually implement limited government policies and show successes. And if Florida can continue that, Texas has done it. What a contrast between New York, California versus Florida and Texas. And so I'm committed to making sure we remain a state, uh, you know, rooted in conservative reform. I just want the nation to know, and I hope they, the, my listeners get behind your, your efforts here, and Floridians to know, and I'm a quasi-Floridian, if you will, because, again, I have a home there, I have my parents are there, and so forth, and, uh, and I intend to move there one day. There's no question about that. Um, I just hope you know, I've gotten to know Ron DeSantis. I mean, not socially. He's a very decent man, a very principled man, a family man, a beautiful family, trying to do the right thing. He's a very atypical politician. You mentioned... 
you, you, you graduated from law school, from one of the greatest law schools in the country, despite the leftism. You also served in the military uh, honorably, and uh, you've served in Congress honorably. And uh, what else do you want to tell the nation and the people of Florida about why you should be supported over your Republican opponents? Well, a couple reasons. One, because I do have the history of service uh, to the country in uniform and in Congress. Two, I'm one of the guys who ran on certain clear Reagan principles, got to Washington, and stuck by those principles and did what I said I would would do. So I have a record of conservative achievement uh, that I think um, sometimes is lacking in candidates who talk a big game. And then the third thing, I'm I'm one of the few candidates in the country that is supported by the president. He uh, uh, tweeted out support for me um, a couple weeks ago and said, you know, said to me privately, "Look, I'm behind you, man. You 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 go get him." Uh, so I think that's the type of candidate that Republican voters are looking to get behind, and I think I can mobilize the conservative base. I can mobilize the Trump voters. We can mobilize the veterans um, and really create a, a strong coalition that, that can take us to victory. And last time I checked, he's a home down there, too. It's pretty nice, Mark. I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen yours, but I'll tell you, it's a, it's a nice place down there, Mar-a-Lago, that's for sure. It's not nearly as nice as his, but it's not bad. Listen, Ron, uh, we wish you all the best here. I want you to give out your website again, Mr. Producer. Plop it up on my social sites, if you will, which, by the way, are my social sites. I own them personally. So we'll get Ron DeSantis' uh, information up there. Go ahead and give it out again. It's rondesantis.com, rondesantis.com. All right, my friend, good luck. We look forward to having you back. Well, God bless you, Mark. Thanks so much for your support. All right, you too. He would be a great governor. <clears throat> great governor. I'd say he'd support Article 5, but they already, they already uh, passed it there in the legislature. Wonderful Florida legislature, like the Texas legislature. There you have the two biggest Republican states, and uh, both of which are behind Article 5 Convention of States. What's that tell you? And fairly conservative states, too. I would kill to have that man as my governor in Virginia. Instead, we get these loathsome, you know, Hillary's bag man, and then this other schmo, he, he waddles into the governorship. It's just so pathetic. And then some states have opportunities to put really, really great people in these top positions. And Florida, you do right now, too. Ron DeSantis, rondesantis.com. That's Ron, D-E-S-A-N-T-I-S.com. You ought to check out his record. He may not be well-known across the country, may not be well-known throughout Florida, but Florida has a magnificent opportunity for a great governor. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. You know, if you're starting off this new year with some resolutions... Can I suggest one for you? Stop watching left-wing fake news. Last year we saw how far the left media will go, even at the expense of their own credibility. CNN has disgraced itself. MSNBC can't disgrace itself anymore. It's at the bottom. Now, if you missed the last couple of Levin TV episodes, we recapped the Obama surveillance scandal. Uh, we're going through the impeachment issue. We're going through the 25th Amendment issue. We get into economics and philosophy and history and current events. We have a blast and we learn a lot. It started with total mockery when I talked about this Obama surveillance scandal. 
mockery of me by the live media, ended with total vindication. These are the kinds of stories you're only going to get on CRTV, and we're bringing you the truth night in and night out. 2018 is shaping up to be a huge year for us at CRTV, and we want you to, to join us. We're adding new shows from hosts like Andrew Wilkow and Ali Stuckey and more. Plus, the price is less than 8 bucks a month when you use promo code LEVIN. It's time to fight back against the liberal media. You don't have to live in their reality because their reality is not your, our reality. You don't have to live in their mental box. That's their problem. Do yourself a favor and try CRTV for a week completely free at CRTV.com. Make sure you use code LEVIN. That's code L-E-V-I-N. And that way you get a $10 off, a $10 discount off your annual subscription. Remember, you can check it out for a week absolutely free. So sign up now at CRTV.com. Make sure you use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, or give us a call. 844-LEVIN-TV, that's 844-L-E-V-I-N-TV. And by the way, I'm not allowed to ever give numbers on this, but we are growing very significantly, and we want you to participate in this, if you can and if you will. We'll explain how it works. You just call 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-L-E-V-I-N-TV. Mike, Grant, New Mexico, Sirius Satellite, go ahead, sir. Mark, uh... You know, everybody talking about all this stuff with DACA. It's, I don't know if people realize how bad it is in some of these areas because uh, I travel all over the western part of the country, and it, there, it, it's crazy that you're seeing fewer and fewer people that even speak the language. Uh, restaurants, businesses, all signs are in Hispanic now. Now that it, it, Spanish, it's yep. crazy. You know, and I live up in Minnesota, and there we're getting taken over by uh, refugees. You know, we've got a huge population of Somali. Yes, you do. All right, sir. Uh, I appreciate your call. Yep, 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 yep. Frank, Woodbridge, New York, the great WABC, go. Hello, Mark. How are you? How is our nightly right. dinner guest? We have dinner with you every night, Mark. Thank you. What are we having tonight, by the way? Well, last well last night we had eggplant parmesan, and you almost made me choke because when you yeah. said they should put crime tape around Hollywood, it's hard to laugh when you got a mouthful of food. But Frank, uh, I got to tell you, I'm lactose intolerant, so you got to watch that. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. You'd love <laughs> eggplant parm. I'm calling. I, I introduced myself as an infuriated constitutionalist. I'm infuriated by the pretense of this DACA amnesty and this Dreamer amnesty, which I believe to be put in quotes, because Americans are being denied fundamental rights that are here. In New Jersey, we cannot defend ourselves. Our women are defenseless. And I have been fighting for Second Amendment CCW rights here in New Jersey for a while. And it's ridiculous. My wife can't defend herself. My daughters can't defend themselves or our grandchildren. And it's abysmal that they're going to grant rights to people that shouldn't really be here, came here illegally. Now, this is an important point. You're saying we have a constitutional right under the Second Amendment which is being uh, chipped away at. And meanwhile, people are coming into this country illegally, and they're protected. 
in New Jersey is not chipped away. It's being denied. Oh, New Jersey's awful. You had, you had Krispy Kreme Christie there, who's bragging about if Trump wasn't president, he would have been president. Hey, Frank, call again, okay? It's too late in the program to continue, because it's time to say ta-ta. But I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Check out Levin TV. It's a good one. Check out Ron DeSantis' site. He needs our support. And I'll see you tomorrow right here, America. God bless you.